Isn't it good to be in the house of God this weekend? Anybody excited to be in church? Give a high five away before you're seated and we're gonna get started. This weekend, we're kicking off a brand new series. Uh, I, I'm really excited about it. I hope you're excited. We're going into four weeks where we're gonna take a look um, at our earthly elements. This series is called Elements and we're, we're gonna kind of look at at some stories from the biblical narrative that center around earth, wind, fire, water. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, Colossians 1.17, that, that God, he was before all things. And then it says, and in him all things hold together. One of the things that's cool about the earthly elements, earth, wind, fire, water, is that it is the makeup, the composition of life comes from those sources. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is take a look at some of the bedrocks of our faith. What are some of the things that if you remove those from the life of a believer, you cannot live without? So I hope you're excited. I hope you came expecting. Before we dive into um, this weekend, I want to start real quickly just by posturing our hearts before the Lord in prayer. So would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this weekend. I'm personally expectant that you're going to do something in and through our lives, in and through our church. God, I thank you that we're a part of a winning team. God, I thank you that not just a part of Red Rocks Church, but we're a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And, and we know the story. We know how the story ends. We know how history ends. And it is a good day for every single person that is a believer of Jesus Christ. And so, God, I just pray that in this moment, hope would arise in some people's hearts this weekend. Would you speak to us through your word? In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. And everybody at Red Rocks Church said... Amen. I don't really have to tell you this, but um, we live in a day and age that we want to see facts to back up stories. We, we want to see photos. We want to see videos to, to, to kind of prove things truly happened the way that we said that they happened. If you don't believe me, um, check Instagram and you can see the infamous Jim selfie, right? Like if you don't have a picture, then it didn't happen, for those of you that don't cook at home very often, the, the once a month, once a quarter that you cook that, that, that home-cooked meal, you're going to snap a picture of it because if you don't have a picture, it didn't happen. And if you don't believe me, we have sayings that all of us are familiar with, and the saying is, you had to see it to believe it. You got to see it to believe it. I had an instance a few months ago, I was traveling with one of our directors um, at Red Rocks, his name is Eric Parks, um, and, and he started this little banter, which, fellas, you just understand this, if somebody starts a competition, it's fighting rules, you know what I mean? Like, like you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're gonna take them to the ground no matter what happens, and uh, he and I were traveling, and we were in Peru, and, and we saw this place that had a dartboard, and he's like, I bet you any amount of money that I can wipe you in a game of darts. And I'm like, that's not gonna happen. So we, we go inside there, start playing darts, and I start realizing really quickly, I've never played darts before, and he's played a lot. So it gets to the point in the, in the, in the game where, where all he's got, he's gotta hit three more bullseye. And he's got three darts left. And so he goes, this is my last turn. 
And I'm like, you are so full of it. There's no, there's no way that you're gonna beat me in this, in this round. So he gets up to the line and then boom, bullseye. And so I was like, that's, that's pretty cool. Even though if you're playing against you, it's pretty cool that you just nailed that. And he gets back up to the line again and he adjusts and boom, second bullseye. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. He's gonna beat me this round. He grabs the third dart and he's like, this is the one that's gonna take you out. And I'm like, there's no, there's no way you're, that you're hitting you know, three bullseyes consecutively. And, and I kid you not, he gets up to the line and, and he throws the dart and the dart sticks into the back of another dart. He gets three bullseyes in one round. And I know what you're thinking. Pictures or it didn't happen videos or it didn't happen. I happen to have a video that I'd like to show for you, so direct your attention to the screen. What the heck? I just did that. It went through. It went It went through. You crowded the bullseye. I think that's a bullseye. I don't. And I think that's a bullseye. No, it's touching my head. I think both are not. That is not a bullseye. That's not a bullseye. That's Robin Hood. No, no bullseye. To make matters worse, he says, that's Robin Hood. We got to give a round of applause for Eric Parks. And spoiler alert, he's going to be preaching next weekend, so you're not going to want to miss out on that. But we're sitting there, and it was one of those moments that you had to see it to believe it. And we're just, that's just part of our culture. Nowadays, with cell phones so accessible, we snap photos of everything, videos of everything. So if you didn't get it on video... If you didn't get it on photo, it didn't happen. And one of the things that makes it really difficult is when we're following Jesus Christ, there's a bunch of things that we're going to have to believe in before we ever see them. Have you ever felt that friction? There's certain things that the Bible says you got to put all your trust in Jesus he, he, he is your provider. He is your counselor. He is a friend that sticks closer to a brother. But then we go to reality and we go, I know all that to be true intuitively. Like, I know that the Bible says that, but it can't necessarily see it in my life. You ever heard a message on the fact that God will never leave you nor forsake you and then you leave and Monday you're all alone? No significant other? No family, no close friends, and you're going, and I believe that what they're saying is true, but I don't know that it's true in my life. I don't necessarily see it. So I started thinking, like, how, how, how do we frame up for ourselves a perspective to be faithful to the Lord, even when we can't necessarily see him working? Like, how, how do we posture our hearts in a direction to where we can honor God, be used by God in a very significant way, even when we're going, nothing in my life makes sense, but somehow I trust God. Because the Bible is really clear. I love what 2 Corinthians says. The apostle Paul admonishes the church just like us. He says this, for we walk by faith, he says, not by sight. So he goes, listen, you can't go around in your life looking at everything that is taking place and letting that determine your reality. We live by a different set of rules. I like that, but it's difficult to do. Have you ever felt that? Like, I, 
I like the whole walk by faith thing. You kind of want to smack somebody when you're walking through a difficult season. They go, brother, we walk by faith, not by sight. I feel like it's someone from the South that always says that, you know? How do we frame for ourselves, Red Rocks Church, a perspective to be faithful to God, to learn to walk in faith, even when it doesn't seem like God is working in our lives? How do we do that? I want to take a look at a, a story that might be familiar to some of you, and I, and I want to look at it from a different perspective. I want to look at the story of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Jonah. If you know where Jonah is in a paper Bible, you are a rock star because the average person don't. Open up to Jonah 1. Jonah is an interesting story because Jonah is a prophet. He's not by any means, the only prophet that is in scripture. He's actually one of many prophets, but most of the books that are written from a prophetic perspective are written about a prophet's assignment. So a prophet in this day and age was a person that would hear from God and would deliver a message on behalf of God. Pretty cool task. How would you like to be the person that walks into the city and goes, I'm the one that heard from God? Listen up. This is Jonah's assignment. But this book is a little bit different than most of the other prophetic books. Jonah's is, is written from a perspective of his life, not necessarily his assignment. What we learn from Jonah, yes, we can learn things through what he declares, but we can learn a lot more about his life. And what's interesting is Jonah, the book of Jonah, it's almost like a rebel narrative. Jonah is this guy that honors God, loves God. He's God's man, God's messenger. But we catch him in a moment where he gets really weak and makes some really big mistakes. How is it that a man of God, somebody that can honor God with their life and wants to dedicate their life for his work, can flounder under opposition? I love the questions that you ask, Red Rocks Church. <laughs> It's a great question because what we're going to learn through the life of Jonah is something that is very applicable for those of us that want to be honorable and faithful to God. We want to do things God's way, even when we can't necessarily see it working in our lives. Can you lean to your neighbor and look them into their eyes real quickly? Create an awkward moment and ask them the title of my, question, of my sermon this weekend, and the question is this, can you see it? Ask him, can you see it? I'm seeing some awkward looks here. Can you see it? Can you see it? If you have your Bible, open up to Jonah 1.1. God is working in your life, the word says, but the question is, can you see it? And in Jonah 1.1, it starts off this way. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So Jonah gets this assignment from God. He says, listen, these people are extremely evil. Like Nineveh was known for the way that they horrifically treated their enemies, these people had like vile acts, sinful acts running rampant in their communities, in their city. They lived by a different moral code. They were feared because of how evil this community was. And God says, listen, I've taken note of their sin. 
I want you to go and I want you to let them know if they don't change, destruction is coming. So Jonah receives his assignment. This is just what prophets do. But in verse three, it says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. That is not another name for Nineveh. He's going in the opposite direction. And the reason he is fleeing, the Bible says, is he is fleeing the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He paid the fare. I just want to make a a brief interjection here. This is not a part of my message, but every time you choose to run from the presence of God, every time you choose to disobey God, it will cost you. And Jonah takes the money. He pays the fare in order to hop on a boat to flee from the presence of God. And it says he went down into it, meaning the boat, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But verse four says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. Verse five says that the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. During this time, this was uh, pagan philosophy was rampant. So people had different gods for different occasions. So these guys are, are, are recognizing that they're in for some major trouble if something doesn't change. And they realize we're going to need an intervention from a god to make sure that we make this out alive. So they're phoning every God that they can. If you remember who wants to be a millionaire and you get a lifeline and you're gonna phone a friend, they're like, we're calling every friend that we have. They're like, squirrel God, deliver us. You know what I mean? Like, like wave God, deliver us. Chick-fil-A God, deliver us. Like any God that's listening, can you save us? They began to cry out to their own gods. And it continues on and it says they began to hurl cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and he had laid down and was fast asleep. How could a man sleep under these kind of conditions. Like these are professional sailors that are freaking out like little schoolgirls. The boat, theologians say that it's, the, the, the Bible says that the boat was threatening to break apart, meaning that it was creaking and the boat was twisting and contorting so much. It was like the boat was saying, I'm about to fall apart. Yet Jonah is below and he's sleeping. Have you ever run so far from God, run so headlong into sin that things that used to make you sick, things that used to make you feel turmoil, things that used to make you feel guilt and remorse, you become numb to? Like that, that, that thing in your life that when you became a Christ follower, you began to get a, a disdain in your heart towards some of those areas of sin. And then you begin to walk away from the presence of God and you start dabbling in things that you once knew was sin. And now it doesn't feel so wrong anymore. This is where Jonah is. 
His heart is seared from God. He is disconnected from God. And even in the biggest tragedy of his life, he is able to sleep when everyone else is panicked. And verse six says, so the captain came and went down to him and said, what do you mean you sleeper? Like, why are you sleeping in this sort of a setting? He says, arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. The sailors knew this is no ordinary storm. This is no just, this is not a common storm. This is a supernatural storm. We need an intervention from a God. So why don't you call to yours and just see if he can take heed? I love what happens next. The Bible says in verse seven, it says, and then they huddled together and said to one another, come, let us cast lots, aka let us draw straws. And he says that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So it's one of your fault. Let's draw straws and see which God points out the heathen that is making this happen. And the Bible says, so they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. Wah, wah. Verse eight says, then they said to him, tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. Whose fault is it? And then they turned to him and they said, what's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And what people are you? Like, tell us about you because there's something about you. The gods are pointing at you saying, this is your fault. So tell us why it's your fault. Surely it's because of your occupation or who you're, who you're associated with. And then he says something that would catch them off guard culturally. He said to them, I'm a Hebrew, a.k.a. I am one of God's children. I'm one of his chosen people. So they're like, okay, it's not necessarily who you're associated with because these people got a good reputation. And then it says, and I fear the Lord God of heaven. And then he adds this, who made the sea and the dry land. He goes, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a man of God. I'm one of God's chosen people. I fear God, even though his actions would tell you otherwise. And he says, I fear the God that made this sea and made the dry land. And verse 10 says, then they were exceedingly afraid. They're going, oh, no, you didn't. And then they said, what is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, I'm not necessarily the smartest person in the world, but if I'm going to flee from a guy that I know created the sea, I'm not going, guys, let's flee this dude's presence, grab a boat. <laughs> like, I don't know how fast a boat has to go to flee from God Almighty, but it's got to be pretty fast. I don't even know how far you have to go in the wrong direction to flee from God, but it's got to be pretty far because he's God. And Jonah has this realization along with the guys that are in this boat. They're going, you messed with the wrong God clearly because we're about to die. Friends, can I tell you that you cannot outrun the presence of God? 
Jonah's about to learn a very, very valuable life lesson, one of which, if he would have known this and been operating under this presupposition before he got himself into this moment, he probably could have abstained from this tragedy. He believed that he could run from the presence of God. But if I could tell you something, if you want to walk in faith, if you want to believe in things before you see them, you have to know that God is present, period. You see, somewhere along the lines, this man of God had forgotten that God is present in every single situation. How far must that run to get from your presence, God? How fast and how headlong in the wrong direction do I need to run in order to get away from you? And, and what Jonah began to realize is even when I'm in a difficult situation, God is here also. Even when I'm in the presence of a tempest storm, one that is supernatural and threatens my life, God is present here also. And I wonder if we walked around with an understanding like this, that in your storm, in your situation, in the face of tragedy, in the face of loneliness, in the face of your bad diagnosis, How would your perspective change if you knew that God is present? Jonah forgot. He's God's man, and he has forgotten that God is with him always. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verse 7. He goes, where can I run from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? And if I go up to the heavens, you're there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there also. And verse 9 says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even on my way to Tarshish, it says, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. Have you ever had one of those bad dreams where the bad guys are chasing you? And you're trying to outrun the bad guys and you're for some reason are running in like slow motion and they're gaining on you. They're catching up to you. This is kind of what it's like for Jonah to run from God. He's like, you can run as fast as you want to, but I'm here. Friends, if you want to walk in faith and you want to walk and see things in faith that you cannot necessarily see around you, if you want to know that God is working in your life, even when you cannot see it, the first step is to recognize that God is present with you in whatever situation you are walking through in this moment. Here's the truth. As Christians, we have to fundamentally change the way that we go about life. We just got to look at life differently. The Bible says we don't look at our our lives through our own sight. We don't gauge our perspective, our performance. We, We don't gauge our purpose. We don't gauge how close God is based upon situations in our life. But we do that through the eyes and through the lens of faith. We have to change the way that we fundamentally look at life. This last weekend during our communion services, one of our creative team members was backstage and she had her camera and next to her camera, there was this weird looking brass knuckly jewel thing. And I was like, what on earth is that? And she said, it's a prism. 
And I'm like, what's a prism? And she's like, you put it in front of your camera and it does little weird visual things. And I'm like, okay, like I said, what's a prism? And she said, it, it, it captures light and funnels it into the lens of your camera or video camera. And it takes the light and it magnifies it and it makes a cool effect. So I was sitting there thinking about walking and seeing things through the eyes of faith. And I began to think, man, doing this God's way is a lot like looking at life through a prism. We can't necessarily change what's happening around us, but we can change how we look at things. I'd like to demonstrate this for you, Ben. Can you show us how this thing works? He's like, sure. Can we give a round of applause for Ben? And while we're doing that, can we give it up for all of our creative staff and volunteers that just film things and make everything look so cool? So, Ben, can you show us how this thing works? Because the way that she explained it was pretty cool. Doesn't necessarily change what we're looking at, what we're capturing, just changes how we perceive it. Can you, can you show us this thing in action? Testing. One, two, three. So when you begin to look through the prism, it grabs the light from its surroundings and it focuses it. It creates a glare. It creates a different way of looking at things. It can almost seem obstructed, but I don't know about you. When you, when you look through the lens of a sphere, through a prism, you almost begin to get enamored by the light that you see from the surroundings and you pay less attention to what you're actually looking at. When I began to think about this prism, I began to think, man, how apropos is this? This is so much like what God is inviting us into. We can't necessarily change the surroundings, but we can change what we focus on. And I'm wondering if we had an understanding and awareness that God was with us in this moment. Whatever circumstance or situation that you find yourself in, how would you handle the situation differently? Look, what if when we were looking at our situation, the difficulties, what if we began to just try and take notice of the light from the surrounding, the light that was present in the midst of the storm, that was present in the midst of, of family heartache and hardship? What if we could take a look at the light that was there in the midst of your loneliness, in the midst of your brokenness? And what if we began to notice the light in every single situation? Looking through the lens of faith is a lot like looking through prison. Can we give it up for Ben? I'm going to hang on to this. Jonah has this moment that we're about to see, and he begins to look at his situation a little bit differently. He begins to notice the light. He begins to notice the presence of God, even in the most dire of circumstances. If you look at verse 11, it says this, then they said to him, Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? If you're a problem, we got to handle it. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Verse 12 said, he said to them, he said, if you pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Hurl me into the sea. Hurl is such a cool word. It says, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it is because of me 
that this great tempest has come upon you. And verse 15 says, so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And watch what happens. It says, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. So they take Jonah and they go, okay, if you're the problem, we got to get you off of this boat. So they throw Jonah out into the ocean. And right when he hits the water, boop, the water stops raging. Could you imagine being on the boat? Better yet, could you imagine being Jonah? You're just bobbing in the water and you're like, this is awkward. In in this moment, he realized, I cannot escape the presence of God and God's assignment and his purpose for me. It is like irrevocable. And so here he is bobbing in the ocean, recognizing he can no longer outrun God. And worst of all, he might just die here. I don't know about you, but in my moments where it feels like I'm bobbing alone in the ocean, I'm kind of like, man, I've made the biggest mistake of my life. I earned this. I deserve this punishment. But God has Jonah in a very specific place to learn a very specific lesson. In this moment, he is vulnerable. In this moment, he is exposed. And look what happens next. If things couldn't get any worse, look what happens in verse 17. It says, then the Lord appointed a great fish. To swallow up Jonah. Things got a little bit worse. And then it says, and Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. What's interesting is that all of chapter two, after this verse, Jonah recourses into this prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God. He starts reciting some of the Psalms. He starts saying, oh, God, salvation comes from you. When I plunged to the depths, you were there. And and when I felt like my life was being taken from me, you were there. When the seaweed came about me and and I, I went beneath the waters, you were there with me also. And when I floated to the roots of the mountains, you were there too. I wouldn't pray. He's in the belly of a fish. He's been swallowed up. The the theologians say that stomach acid was burning away his skin. and, And in this moment, it would have made him look like he was albino. His color's changing. He's sitting in a fish. He's confused. It stinks. He thinks he's gonna die. And somehow he musters in his heart praise. How is it that somebody in the belly of a fish, after one of their greatest moments of failure and betrayal before God, how is it that they could begin to pray and worship God in that moment? You see, Jonah knew that God had his number. God was after something deeper within the heart of Jonah. And Jonah realized even in the depths of the belly of a fish, God is present. And not only that, but the God that is present with me. The second thing that we have to learn if we're going to walk in faith, no matter what we see, is we have to realize not only is God present, 
but he's full of grace. I wonder in your situation right now, do you know that God is present and he's full of grace? I was talking to my wife earlier and I was like, babe, you know what I'm thinking about and the lens and through scripture. And I think I'm just going to encourage people that they want to walk in faith. They got to know that God is with them. He is present. And she's like, so what? And I was like, that's not the encouragement that I wanted. (laughs) If God is just with you and you don't know what God is when he is with you, what does it matter? If you don't know God and who he is, how he operates, the way that he conducts himself, why does it matter that he's with you? Jonah, in this moment, realizes that this God is with me and he is holding me securely. He is full of grace. And in this moment, Jonah begins to realize what I thought was for my punishment is actually just an intervention from God. And he's not done with me yet. I wonder if the storm that you're in, if the fish that you feel swallowed up by, if the the, the season of life that you are in, though it may be difficult, I wonder if, I just wonder, could God be using that not to punish you, but to intervene and redirect you? Could he be using it not for your destruction, but simply as a detour? You see, we can't have eyes of faith in the middle of hardship if we don't realize that God is present and he is full of grace. Here Jonah is in the belly of a whale, praying and giving thanksgiving to God. He realized God's doing something. And in the belly of a whale, he saw it. I wonder, I know God's doing something in your life, but can you see it? The story doesn't end there. God has great plans for Jonah. And in verse two, this is how God goes. I'm gonna give you a second shot. He says this in in chapter two, verse one, said Jonah prayed in the belly of this fish to the Lord. And then he goes on to verse 10. And then it says, then the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited him out upon the dry land. If you want to know what sometimes it feels like to get a second chance, sometimes it's not glamorous, but you get a second chance. Like Jonah gets vomited onto dry land from the mouth of a fish, but he's got a second chance. Here he is on the shore. Some of you are going, I have messed up too much. I've blown it. There's no way God could ever do anything through me. And I want to encourage you today. If you have the perspective that God is with you now and he's full of grace I promise you a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance is on its way. He is not done. He is working. But I wonder, can you see it? The Bible goes on in chapter three and it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time. He gets a second chance and he says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it. The message that I will tell you in verse three says, so Jonah arose and this time he went to Nineveh. Good idea, Jonah. I wouldn't want to see volume two of Jonah's disobedience towards God, but it says he went to Nineveh. It says arise and go to Nineveh. And verse three says, according to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city 
three days journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and then he called out. This is his message. This is what God wanted him to say. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Mic drop. You're like, God, this is really the message that you wanted him to say. Like you went through all this. You couldn't just find somebody in Nineveh and get them to say this to everybody. Like you couldn't, you couldn't just get anybody. You couldn't have, have spoken through a rock or through a goat or through a donkey. Like you had to go through all this trouble. Sometimes God will go through a bunch of trouble to teach you some lessons in your life. We can look at it through the lens that this is for our destruction, or we can go, God loves me so much that he's willing to go all this length to see my purposes fulfilled for my life. He gives the greatest eight-word sermon in the history of the world. And look what it begins to say in verse five. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. It says they believed God, and then they called for a fast. They put, they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The Bible says 120,000 people repented and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. They turned from their ways and they began to serve the ways of Yahweh, God Almighty. In one moment over eight words, I can promise you, when you begin to see through the lens of faith, what God can do through your life is amazing. And Jonah steps on to the shore, and in eight words, one of the greatest revivals in history takes place. I wonder what God wants to do through your life. If you could look through the lens of faith, I know that he's working in your life, but the question is, can you see it? Verse 10 says, and when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented, meaning God changed his mind. He relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Friends, when we live by faith and we stop paying attention and letting everything that's happening around us determine what God can do, let it determine whether or not God is present. If we let hardship determine what God will do in our lives, I can promise you, you will never fulfill the purposes of God for your life. But it's only when we begin to look through the eyes of faith, recognizing in this moment, man, it's hard, but I can see him. He's here. I can see him. He's here. And I, I know that he's full of grace. And I know that this time of my life is really hard. Like, I know that it's painful. I know that I feel alone. I know that I feel betrayed. I know that I feel let down. I feel discouraged. But I don't go by what I see. I go by faith. And my faith tells me he's with me. He's present. And he's working. And he is a God that is full of grace. Friends, how would our lives change if we began to look through the lens of faith that in every circumstance and situation, he's present. God is present and he's full of grace. But God, in this moment, you're, you're here with me and I know that the grace is your knee jerk. It's just what you do. I can expect it from you. 
Friends, I don't know what you're going through in this time of life. I don't know what hardship you are facing. I don't know what difficult challenges before you. I don't know what's obscure about your life and your calling and your purpose. I don't know how people have hurt you, how you feel in this present moment, but can I tell you, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And faith, friends, is a perspective. It is a lens by which we view the entire world. Would you stand to your feet if you're able? We started off with Colossians 1.17, and it says this, that God, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. AKA God is present in your certain situation and he is holding it together. And the good news is he's full of grace. And it doesn't matter what your situation looks like. He's full of grace and he's there. So in this moment, what I want to do, would we just begin to lay our burdens at his feet? Would you lay obscurity at his feet? Would you lay your confusion at his feet? Would you lay your pain and your heartache at his feet? Would you lay the bad diagnosis at his feet? And in this moment, could you just be reminded, God, I know that you are here, you are present, and you are full of grace. It might not seem like that at face value. I might not be able to see it with the naked eye, but God, I know that through the eyes of faith, you are working, and I want to see it. In your life, friends, God is working. Can you see it in this moment my prayer is God that you would set our eyes upon you Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith Jesus you said that we cannot please you if we do not have faith so today God we want to look at our lives we want to look through the lens of faith we want to see you moving and working even when things don't make sense we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ and every single person at Red Rocks Church says Amen. Come on, Red Rocks, let's worship Jesus.